I want to show you um, 2015 on the left there. That is my daughter, Madeline. That is four years ago. She is uh, married, which that's a weird thing to say out loud. Uh, married, but she was still in high school. That was the first time we stepped step foot in Kawalira village in the bush of Uganda. And that, by the way, was already cleared away. Normally, it looks like something out in Bethesda that hadn't been bush hogged yet. Like, it was just overrun with everything. And on the right, what you see is Conduit of Life Church as it stands today. All those buildings in that picture, Jim, that's where you and I just were, uh, is where that bush was four years ago. Now, you're wondering where we, we jokingly say our unofficial motto here is Conduit Mission. We are not screwing around. Where we got that from is I remember walking with Alex one day and saying, man, you guys, every time I go and come back, you guys have built something new. And he said, well, we are not messing around here. And it's like, well, that, you know, that's the British English. The, the American version of that is we're not screwing around. So that's where it came from. And I wanted you to meet Alex. He is here on a very rare visit because he's very busy. He speaks at church planning conferences all over the world because people are trying to figure out how to do what he's doing there, what God is doing with him. And so we are super privileged and super blessed that Alex is with us this morning. So Alex, would you join me? When we asked him why he dressed up so nice, he said it was just because I was cold. I <laughs> Alex, you are, uh, I mean, that's true. I mean, that's the, what we see there is just a result. We say around here that God doesn't necessarily solve problems. He appoints people, and then the people solve that. And what we see there is your, uh, what God has done through your ministry there. But you're no stranger to Tennessee. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> In the uh, 90s, he came around, and he was able to... Uh, meet with what was this, at the time a small Bible study with a guy named David uh, Deloach and Mark Bourgeois, and some of you guys know them, Mark and uh, Melissa, and, and a guy that no one's ever heard of named Bill Lee. They were all in this little Bible study, and, um, and that became a church that's now known as Grace Center. It's, it's up the road. Sure. Yeah. But you're back here in Tennessee. Does this feel like home for you? Away from home? Yeah. It's, uh, with all these people here, it's like a home now. The, um, the thing that I wanted you to uh, tell us about, and if you've been there, you already know this, and if you're going this summer, you'll get to know this, and if you want to, you can come with me another time to know this stuff. But why is it, because you've traveled the world like I have, and you've seen people doing all kinds of amazing things in the world, why do you think that God called you to be a church planter in Uganda? I believe um, the local church, local church, is the best hub to do progressive discipleship. We can preach out there in the gospel crusades, but you can't disciple people in the gospel crusade. You can pray for healings, you can cast out demons if you want, you can do all those kind of things out there, but that, that is not a discipleship. So we need the local church to disciple and to be discipled, to mentor and to be mentored. Yeah. And that's what, um, what we've seen here, here even in this 
village, Kawalira village, that before it was just bush. And there was all kinds of nutty stuff going on in there, witchcraft and crazy. And I remember Alex saying, who cares? Jesus has come. And now there's a school. I mean, Jesus is doing things in people's lives, which, how about you just tell us that first? You, you call these the four pillars of community transformation through the church. Like, tell us, walk us through that. Um, when you are careful with the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior, he commanded that this gospel shall be preached to the poor. And he was happy that the poor were hearing the gospel. The question, how do you approach the poor people? How can they know that what you have brought to them is good news? It's another thing to read about it, to preach about it, but practically, how do you do it? Suppose you went to a community deep in the bush, like where we live, and you find people living small grass-thatched houses. They drink dirty water from ponds, fighting with animals for water. Sickly all the time because of malaria, because they live unhygienically. They're ignorant, they are not educated, they can't read, they can't write. And these are the poor people, and the command says, go, take the gospel to the poor. How do you do it? Now, the four pillars help us. Number one, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people hear, and faith comes by hearing, and after hearing, they believe, and they become converted Christians from witchcraft, from any kind of regress, stupidity, as you know, all those things, from demonic attacks, they are now born again. But they are still living in the bush. What do you do with that, that water they are taking? Now they are born again, but the water is not born again. They are born again, but the surroundings are not born again. So that's why we add on these other things. We use the same Bible, the same Bible which talks about salvation. It is the same Bible which talks about hygiene. It is the same Bible that talks about hard work, growing food for your family, the same Bible. And because these people have not yet gone to heaven, that's why we are using those four pillars. A church for them, a small clinic for their healthy conditions, and a small school to educate the children, give them you know, education, and also water, water wells. And this church, you people, our brothers and sisters, you have joined us to do those four things. And together, we are transforming Uganda. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if you're visiting this morning, this is, this is who we are. It's how we started. 
Uh, Amy's here, the bookkeeper, so I, I'm about to shoot a number, that I'm, but I'm going to try low that I know we've given away over $2.5 million, probably closer to $3 million doing this. Um, Africa, West Africa, North Africa, Northern Iraq, Haiti. I can't think of a better use of our resources than to see little guys and little girls who can grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I mean, think about it like in an Islamic village where they're being told they're a piece of property, where they're told that they can't have any freedom and the women are treated like property, then Jesus comes Mm -hmm. and sets them free. Grace, we had a meeting, a conversation with a friend in North Africa, Deidre was with us, and asked him, what would it feel like if you didn't worry anymore about having to earn your way to heaven? What would it be? And she said, this young lady said, I'd be able to sleep at night. The gospel transforms it. When there's a witch doctor taking their chickens to try to remove a curse, what if that mom could keep the chicken and just let them eat the eggs? Just the gospel transforming their lives super practically. An education that can raise them up. I mean, guys, you know, Orton's, that's what you guys are doing in Kenya, right? Those littles somewhere out there. Alex, how about you tell us your story? Because here's the story of a young guy in Africa who was transformed by a local church and a local ministry. How did you come to Jesus? You're 67 right now. Yeah. But you weren't always 67. <laughs> Didn't he look good, by the way? I don't know what they're putting in the water in Africa, but I'd, some of that. Um, I, I was born to a father and a, uh, who never cared for his children. We were 11 kids, and I'm, I'm number five. So he left our mom, divorced her, and sold the piece of land. In my country, if you don't have land, you have nowhere to grow food. We don't buy food from supermarkets in the, in the bush. You have to have your supermarket, and that is your garden. So our father sold the piece of land, and he went wherever he went. So we grew up in great poverty great, real poverty. When I was 16, my mother, thank God for mothers, she really worked hard to take care of us. May the Lord bless you mothers. Yeah. So she told me she had no more money to pay for my school fees because we pay school fees for education. That's why most people can't afford it. Yeah. And uh, I thought I should go to the city to try to find something to do. But I was very short. Thank God I'm taller now. <laughs> He's not wearing lifts. In the I know boots. how to do it. <laughs> the boots. They made me tall, you know. That's wisdom. Yeah. I was short and, uh, you know, stupid. You know, when you grow up in the bush there, you know, that was my first time to come to the city and all that. But the city never welcomed me. They thought I was a thief. I had never put on shoes. I just put on shoes actually when I was 16. First time uh, you had shoes on, did you catch uh-huh. that? So um, I ended up on streets um, selling marijuana and uh, smoking it. You know, you have to learn to smoke it in order to sell it. Some of you here, you are very perfect people. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but 
I was like that. I grew up in a, in a family, you know, we knew nothing about Jesus. Uh, I had never touched the Bible before. That was not part of my, my history. But now in the city, with what I was doing, the police was not happy with the short, dangerous boy. That's how the police described me. The short, dangerous boy. That was me. So I had to run away from the city, find a place to hide, far away from where they had known me. While I was hiding there, 1971, I became sick of malaria. Malaria is killer number one in the south of the Sahara. Malaria is still the number one killer in Africa. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew I was going to die. Uh, while I was lying there waiting to die, I heard the voice calling me. My mom had given me four names. I reduced them to two, but she gave me four. <laughs> you got a couple extra. I don't know why. You never but, know. But uh, the voice called me by one of those names, and these are the words. If you don't get saved, you shall surely die. I heard it three times and many more times, but I was lying there and I could hear that audibly. And there was nobody. I was just lying there alone, waiting to die. But I could remember that and I could hear everything. Now, here's the problem. I never knew what it meant to be saved. I had never heard anybody talking about it. I had never met anybody talking about getting saved. And as I told you, I had never touched the Bible before. So I concluded like this. I thought I was going to die. I thought that's how people die. I had never died before. So, so you don't know. <laughs> yes, I don't know. But I didn't die as you can see. After some weeks, I started getting well. And finally, I got healed. I don't know how it happened because I was supposed to die. In Africa, when you are supposed to die, you must die. Yeah. And if you don't die, maybe you are now a demon or something else. They will start suspecting who you are. But I got healed. And I started you know, remembering the voice and the words. If you don't get saved, you shall surely die. Getting saved in my local language is kulokoka. Try it. Kulokoka. kulokoka. So, but I didn't know what it was. Well, December 24th, 1971, Christmas Eve, as you call it, I saw an old man coming to buy a bunch of banana from my neighbor. Both were old people. And this man began to talk to her loudly. Why don't you get saved? You are now old like me. Then I heard the word kulokoka again. Whatever they said, I didn't hear again, but I heard that word. And then I said, okay, did he say kulokoka? The voice told me if I don't kulokoka, I shall surely die. And I was 19 by then. You don't want to die when you are 19. You don't. And I, I said, okay, let me run to this guy and ask him what he's talking about. So awkwardly, I ran to him and asked him, did you say something like kulokoka? 
this guy had put his bunch of banana on his head and he was walking away. It was a little bit late evening. We carry things on our heads. Those of you who have come to Uganda, you have seen it. We have strong, tough heads. <laughs> so I began talking to him. Sir, did you say something like a kulokoka? And he said, well, I want that old woman to get saved. Again, kulokoka. I said, oh, maybe he knows what it is. I asked him, sir, what it is? What is it? And he said, well, you can't know unless you go to church. And the guy never turned around to see who was talking to him. I don't think he was a good evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He had so, a live one and he didn't even yeah. know it. <laughs> so I kept on following him. And I asked him, sir, where do you live? And he said, okay, you go straight like this. You know, we have no streets in the bush there. You simply say you find a big tree. Then you turn around, big, big anthill. Then you go down like that. So he gave me directions. Christmas morning, I went to find out where this man lived. And together with his family, we walked four kilometers to a small local church deep in the jungle there. It was a grass thatched something, and there were about 20 people inside there. I thank God for the person who planted that church in the bush. That's why I'm a very strong believer in church planting. Yeah. That's how I came to know the Lord. Yeah. You have, I've heard you say that ministries are born in heaven, but ministers are born in a local church. Sure. Um, sure. And what we've seen in, um, in Uganda with the, the church that we've planted there is uh, this pastor and his family right here. This is Lawrence and Eva. Um, that's an automobile that we just purchased for them back in January, by the way, that turns out to be like... In the bush, that's an ambulance, that's a supply run. It's literally a lifeline to the village. Lawrence was from Kawalira Village, and when we went to plant the church back in the day, we went door to door, or I should say opening to opening. There weren't really doors. Um, they, they recognized him as like the town drunk, like the druggie. Like they were like, and I grew up in a small town, so I know what that means to know, oh, I know that guy. Why is he at our door? I don't want to buy any. Um, but tell us how Lawrence came out of Pastor Christopher's church now to be this pastor that a ministry that was born in heaven was uh, created in a local church. Um, many years ago, I was invited by the vice president, the former vice president of our country. Hmm. He called me and he wanted help. And I was wondering how I can help the vice president of Uganda. He said, I need your help in the cons my constituency because he was the member of parliament of that area. And uh, of course I went, big breakfast. Yeah, bad. And then after that, he told me his need. He said, I have failed to transform my people in this constituency. Whatever I give to them, they eat. Whatever I give to them to develop themselves, they eat. Would you come and help me? You are a pastor, you are a preacher, you are, I've been following you, and he's a Catholic himself. So he gave me a piece of land, and he requested me to plant a church in that village. 
and we planted a church there. You saw the church. Yeah. Now, we train our pastors, like this pastor of ours here, wonderful guy, to at least train four people in each church we plant. And we encourage them not to call those people any title. Don't give them, them any title. They are not elders, they are not dinkons, they are not anything. They are just Second Timothy 2, verse 2, faithful men. And we tell them if they don't want that title, then they are not faithful. <laughs> so they train for, 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 for. And how do they train them? They empty themselves into those people, which means whatever the pastor knows, he teaches those people. It's very easy to train four people because you can take them wherever. That's what we do. So when it comes to planting new churches, we have those four in every church that we have planted. Even these ones, we have started training the four. We can't wait. It may take us five years, but uh, we must be ready. There is this song which has been going on in our churches for many years, that the field is ready, but the workers or the laborers are few. We no longer believe in that. We don't sing that song in our country. I heard people singing the same song in Hawaii where I went, <laughs> in the Caribbean. Yeah. Even here in America, you are still singing that song. The laborers are no more few. When Jesus spoke those words, he was the only guy in the field. But after Pentecost, things changed. You people, you are full of the Holy Spirit. You are full of God's word. And you have those strong weapons to use. You have the name of Jesus. You have the blood of Jesus. You have the word of God. You have the fellowship of the brethren. You are very powerful people. I want to tell you, that song shouldn't be sung again. The laborers are very many now. There are very many in Uganda. There are very many in Nashville, Tennessee, Franklin side. And where are they seated? They are seated right here in those pews. You are the laborers. All what the laborers need today is empowerment, and uh, uh, equip, equipped, be equipped. That's the work of the apostles, the teachers, the pastors like Pastor Darren, and the evangelists. They are workers to empower, to equip the saints. Where are the saints? You are seated here watching me. You are the saints of God. Our work is to empower, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's easier now for us because we know where the workers are. We have so many laborers in our country. All what we need is to plant new churches for them. Yeah. Tell us what um, you, you shared already about that even Paul, the Apostle Paul, hmm. was called by Jesus, but sent by the local church. Could you expound on that? Yeah, when Jesus found 
or met Paul on his way to Damascus, he converted him, he changed him, he called him into the ministry, but he never sent him into the ministry. So to be called and to be sent, the two are not the same. Um, so when Barnabas, being a, a kind man, you know, when he heard about the miraculous conversion of, uh, of Paul or Saul, he brought him to the apostles, and I think he wanted him to be put, yeah. you know, on give a, him a stage, a, put him on a poster, you know, because he had a powerful testimony. Um, but the apostles were wiser. They said, "Well, sir, you were novice in, the, in all these things. Where do you come from?" He told them he's from Tarsa, and they asked him to go back to Tarsa, stay there for some time in a small local church, which was not, which was there. Stay in the local church, learn how things are done, learn to fellowship with others. You have been a killer. You need time to learn how to work with the people, to fellowship with others, to listen. You know, yes, you are a theologian, but in your own way. Mm. Theologian, religious theologian, you need to know more. So he stayed in the local church for some years. Some say three years, others say more than that. But after some time, there was a need in the church of Antioch and Barnabas went to get him from the local church, from the local church to Antioch local church. And the Holy Spirit came and he found Paul and Barnabas where? In the local church, not in the marketplace, not in a conference, in the local church. And the Holy Spirit is God. But the Holy Spirit said, Hey, we are the elders of this church. Could you please separate these two guys for me? They put them aside. And the Holy Spirit said, please prepare them for the work that I've called them to do. That's how important the local church is. And I want to appreciate all of you to have this as your local church. That's how God works. The Holy Spirit came to the local church, spoke to the leaders of the local church, and asked them, to lay hands upon Paul and Barnabas. And they did it. They prayed and fasted, laid upon Paul and Barnabas, and they sent them. Can you believe? Some people say, no, no, I, I was not sent by a human being. Well, these two were sent. No wonder they did what they did. So I believe, strongly believe in the local church. That's why I've been teaching people all over the world, wherever I've been able to go, that ministry, like being the apostolic ministry, the pastoral ministry, the evangelistic ministry, teaching ministry, prophetic ministries, those ministries are born in heaven. Gifts from heaven. But the minister is born from the local church. Yeah. How many churches have you planted now in your years of ministry? It's going to 274 now, since 1976. Yeah. Yeah. We're about to do 275 this summer. Yeah. We're going to plant another one. Um, and what's happening in each of these is you saw a before and after there of what's happening in Kawalira Village. That's our goal for each of these cities. This is uh, in... 
Kabagezi, what's the other name? Buanuka. Yeah, Buanuka Kabagezi. It's like Thompson Station, Spring Hill. They're both kind of, you don't yeah. know where one starts and the other one begins. Um, it's not connecting. So there's a little brick one down there, Main Sunday. Anyway, um, I'd really love to show you that picture. Close enough. We're about to, uh, <laughs> I know there's just like, it's a bunch of slides on there. Um, there's a building that's almost done. Uh, we, we sent the money last year to start that building, and we're going to send uh, you out with $10,000 to finish that building. Uh, and that will, uh, this next month, so by the time we go there this summer, that building will be finished for Moses and, and his church. So that's a blessing for us to get to finish that building for you guys. That's how we say Thank you back home. Thank you very much. So would you tell us, when you are in Uganda and you are praying for us here in America, how do you pray for us? You know we pray for you. They need to know that you pray for us. How do you pray for us? Um, we, We look at you people and your country as great people. And uh, we consider America a great nation. Many of you, many of American believers, they don't know how great you people are, but uh, because I'm coming from the third world, allow me to tell you, you were a great nation. In Africa, they say amen. Do they do that here? When I say they do do that here, they've been holding out on me. When I say, when I say, America is a great nation. Amen. You are great people. Amen. Um, let me tell you, Africa got religion from Europe. When they came to Africa, they gave us their names. They told us their names are Christian names. So our people were eager to become Christians by getting those new names. William, Wilson, Jackson, and those kind of names. Today, when you come to preach the gospel, uh, they will tell you, oh, I'm also a Christian. My name, I'm Jackson. So that's what we got from Europe. However, in 1958, we started getting evangelists from America visiting East Africa. And then when they came, they came with the gospel. The two are not the same. The Europeans brought religion. The Americans brought the gospel. The Americans started preaching the gospel. People like T.L. Osborne, David Dinan, many of those people have gone to build the Lord a long time ago. They came. Osborne came in 1958 and he began preaching the gospel, repenting, commanding, not requesting, not asking, commanding Africans to repent. That was the year our people began to hear the gospel, to repent their sins, to burn witchcraft, and the churches started being built in those years. So to us, the American people are great people. Let me tell you something. I've heard you Americans confessing and how I pray that you change your confession. I've heard many of you calling your country hell. 
He said, oh, America is hell. And I've been opposing. America is not hell. You can't condemn your country in the name of the mistakes you are seeing here and there. You cannot bless your country by condemning it. There is no way you can transform America by condemning America. You can't transform your family by condemning your children. You know, Jesus is, you know, when Jesus came, he said, I didn't come here to condemn, but to save. You can't save your family, your country by condemning it. If Jesus didn't do it, why should you do it? Hmm. So we pray for America because it's a great country. Do they make mistakes? Yes, they do. Do we make mistakes in Africa? Oh, we do. Same devil. Same <laughs> devil. Same demons. We don't have African demons and American demons. Same demons. So may I ask you kindly, stop condemning your country. Begin to bless your country. Stop condemning your family if you have been doing so. It is time now to start blessing your family. Yeah. Even if your children are very rebellious, don't condemn them. Jesus never did it. Don't concentrate on their wrongs. Call upon the name of the Lord and bless your people. Bless them. Bless America. That's what we do. We bless your country. We bless America. Um, most of the churches, most of the ministries in Africa, they are being supported by Americans. Do they make mistakes? Yeah, they are humans. Everybody, everywhere, people make mistakes. Why? Because they are humans. But uh, our work is to bless this nation. So we bless this nation. And whenever I come to America, I sit somewhere in my hotel and then I bless this country. So bless your country. You, are, you have a very powerful nation, a very wonderful nation. Your people, your sons are dying, not because of America, but because of other nations. Your sons are dying in Afghanistan or those other countries, not because of America. You have enough weapons to defend yourselves. We have very few weapons in Uganda to, say, to defend ourselves. So, I think you should change the tune and you begin to bless your nation. Hmm. The, um, the last thing that I want to ask of you is, you know, it's, it's my story. I was a little, uh, I was a poor kid in a poor town in the, uh, the American version of the bush, which is Nebraska. Um, Hopefully nobody is from there here. I think there's only like 12 of us and two of us got out, the rest of them are still there. But, we, uh, but it was a local church that came in 1981. There was no money in it. Um, even today, when you see a lot of the church planning movements, they're targeting great metro areas and cities because there's a business model behind that, and that's, there's ways that that happens. But going into rural America, was, uh, was, was, it's not happening then, and it sure wasn't happening then, uh, in the middle of the recession and 
Nobody, it was, I, honestly, I, to this day, I think that I don't know why that pastor said yes to that. Uh, and my little family that was a poor family that had no money, um, I promise that my mother and father probably never tithed in their entire life. They didn't have any money. And 10% of zero is you know, zero. Um, but it was a local church that transformed my life. And I think even to the future of, of, of Conduit, that I hope we get to have an opportunity to build a, a little bit bigger of a building here that we could not have to have the swamps. Um, but even then, we don't want to make a church here. We believe that the Lord is calling us to train and to send. And, and in my heart, I just see what, we, what we're learning in Africa, we can do here in America, in rural America here. There aren't a lot of church planning movements happening into the small towns because there's no money in it. So there's, it's not happening but maybe that'll be our opportunity as a church family to get to send out into the, the towns that nobody's going to, the ones that are being ignored and overlooked. Because I think in towns like that, that there are Alex Metalis, there are Jace Caves, Darren Tyler's, you know, from those little towns. And some of you, I probably have you raise your hands, know exactly what I'm talking about. You grew up in a, in a town like that. But what I would ask of you, Alex, is so we're in a little bit of a pickle here. When I was with you, in uh, Uganda, we, we received some um, communication from the county uh, asking us to shut down our, our homeschool. And uh, we, we, several hundred kids a week are being educated in this building and through their parents. And so it wasn't even about like maybe someday, when, you know, if or when, but now, like right now, they just pulled the rug out from under us. And so we need to figure out how to build something that could accommodate our church family, as well as our homeschool kids, without, and this is important to me, without sacrificing what we're doing overseas. There's no way I'm going to Haiti and saying, I apologize, but I'm going to need about a three-year break from feeding these kids. Um, we just, just can't do that. And I don't think the Lord asks us to do that. I think that that's, that the, whatever, the, the same miracle that we saw happen for Lawrence, okay, that building cost about $30,000, $35,000. But if you make $150 a month U.S., it's proportionately about the same miracle we need, right? So God dropped on Kawalira Village, on Kabagezi, Buanuka, uh, Kisagala, these miracles that we've been a part of. And I just believe with all my heart, we didn't, you know what Proverbs says, that when you give to the poor, you loan to God and he will pay you back in full. And I just believe that's what's gonna happen for us here. I literally have no idea how. But would you pray for us that God would, whatever it is, you know, I know for Africa, maybe a 400-seat auditorium is a huge building. For us, it's not so big, but, but it still feels completely unattainable because I don't exactly have that much money sitting around uh, from that. But would you, how about, would you stand to your feet? And Alex, at the end here, would you just pray for us as a church family? Our Heavenly Father, just like your servant, Darren, has mentioned before you, and before all of us, this is uh, a big and a huge project that we are presenting before you. And the reason why we are presenting before you is because it's too big for us. Your servants in the Old Testament did that. I remember Jehoshaphat uh, seeing all those armies the Assyrians with their weapons and, uh, you know, when he saw all of that, he was not just afraid, but he just mentioned it as it was before you. He said, these are too many 
and they were very few. And he came to you and he said, Lord, we are now looking unto you. We shall totally depend upon you. And you came in quickly. You solved the art for Jehoshaphat and the entire tribe of Israel. You are the same God who did that. Such huge projects can't be done by humans. <laughs> it takes you, God. And when you do it, our God, the people will know that it was not Darren or these few people here. They will know. They will know that it was you who did it. That's why we are boldly coming to you because what we don't have, you have. You have. We don't have enough money to construct that beautiful, huge building, but you have the money. That's why we come to you. You say the silver and God belongs to you. That's why we have come to you. We come to you with confidence because we know when we pray, you answer us. And you answer the way you answer our prayers, you answer beyond what we pray and ask for. That's why we are very confident of coming to you, our God. And for me, as a person, I've seen you doing these things in Uganda. I've seen you all these many years. Everything that was impossible to us, we brought it to you and you did it. In the same way, all of us here, we are saying, we don't have those millions cash to pay for the construction of this church building. But we know who knows who has the money. You are the one. Amen. You are the one. You have all the money. You have all the building materials. You know where they are. We just want to say thank you for the building. And now by faith. And this faith, your faith. The gift of faith. We ask you for that gift of faith. To come and rest upon the pastor's the pastoral team, and upon all these servants of yours who are here. And the people know, because they will ask them, how dare you start doing something like that? <laughs> they will know that it's not their faith. It won't be the fruit of faith this time. It will be your gift of faith. Hmm. And because of faith, it will be done. Now we want to pick that vision we receive the vision for that constructed building, finished, complete. We receive it, a very beautiful building. We receive that vision. We receive it on your behalf. And we are going to pursue that vision by that gift of faith. We thank you in advance for the complete building in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Gang, what do we say around here? You can be a goer, you can be a sender, you can be both, you can be either, but you can't be neither. That is the calling we get to be a part of here. Some of you are going to go with us this summer to see Alex. Some of you are sending those to go, but we're thankful for both of you and pray that you have a blessed week this week. And Alex will be hanging out here a little bit. So Kelly, some of you that are going to this summer, you may want to come meet him before we jet him off to Uganda tomorrow. <laughs>